Lord, may those words be precisely the scenario that is here in this room right now. That each of us would be listening to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. I grew up in a, as a military child and also ended up having the privilege of being a pastor's child, not kid or anything like that. Um, we have those MKs and PKs and all those different things. But I had the privilege of growing up in a home where my dad ended up being a uh, retired major in the United States Marine Corps and had a great career. And um, I was the youngest of four boys. So if you kind of couple that little picture together, a Marine, a good, strong, solid Marine, bench press 395 pounds, um, went through as a drill instructor on Paris Island on the rifle range and had four boys, um, we learned how to respond to dad well. No issues. No issues. At 16, dad had retired uh, when he was around 42 years old thereabouts, and uh, we moved from North Carolina to the mountains of New York, where he grew up as a child. And he became a carpenter. He's very gifted with wood. And uh, he became a carpenter up in the mountains at Adirondack, or the Hampton County Lumber Company. And when I was about 16, they had, be- had received this huge contract on one of the lakes, and they're converting uh, this camp uh, that had dozens of homes, clay tennis courts and all this, and they're converting it into individual living or dwellings um, that are several million dollars each today. And dad said to me, you know, Kevin, I think there'd be a ton of work for a bunch of young teens. You got any friends and stuff like that? Bring them out there, and I think we can, you'll work for the, the families. You won't for, work for Hamilton County Lumber Company, but there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done. There's trash, there's tennis courts, you name it, there's boats, and you can come out there. And sure enough, we got hired, about five of us. And uh, five teen boys, that was a disaster in some times, but it was a load of fun. And one of the memories I have, uh, I'll not forget it, and I just can't. Um, at 16, I was sitting, it was lunch break. My mom made great, great uh, egg salad sandwiches, and she put them in baggies. And I was sitting against the wall with a couple of my friends right next to me of a house in the shade, and the sun was casting the shadow this way, and around the corner, at a back about 20 feet, was my dad and his crew eating lunch at the same time around a pickup truck, sitting on the tailgate, leaning on it, whatever. And we're sitting there, and we were just gabbing, visiting, whatever it was we were doing. I unwrapped my sandwich, and I set the baggie on the ground. The, the breeze blew it, and it went out into the line of sight of my dad. And real quick, the voice comes out, hey, Kevin, pick up that baggie. Yes, sir. I just responded real quick. No, no questions asked. Yes, sir. But I didn't move because I intended to pick it up in a few moments. My, my buddy started to laugh and, yeah, boy, he's got you, doesn't he? Like that. And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and I just, we kind of visited and the baggie kept blowing down the road. And then one word, one word, now, <laughs> came out. And before the end of the word happened, my friends say I was over, had the bag in hand, was sitting down next to them. And I share that story because of this. I knew my dad's voice. And I knew what he meant through intonations and whatever. Um, I love my dad. I loved him. I love him and my mom. But those are just clear things in my mind, uh, being one of four boys and uh, ducking when the backhand came across the truck that we were sitting in because we were cutting up in the back seat. And uh, I appreciate those times, knowing my dad's voice. 
Another story, Philippines. I was a little bit older, probably no more mature, um, doing ministry over there with a soccer club. And I had the privilege, about five of us were trying to catch a jeepney, which is a leftover World War II vehicle. Um, looks a little bit like a, a Jeep and whatever else you want to call it, kind of put together. And they're all kinds of colors and fun. And taxi drivers drive around these things. And they're just picking up people in Manila. I grew up coastal North Carolina and then Long Lake. There was like nobody around me where I lived. Manila was just chaos. And I was like in the middle of all this chaos. And I loved it. It was really exciting and fun for me. But boy, it was loud. Horns are blaring, people yelling, loud motorcycles and cars and you name it going all over the place. In the street corner, we were standing on four or five lanes across. And it depended on how busy traffic was, how many cars went and how many lanes went one direction. And later in the day, if it... More cars are going the other direction. There were more lanes going that way. They just knew what they were doing in the midst of all that chaos. To them, it wasn't too chaotic. But for me, looking at all this, it was chaotic and loud. And the missionary said, we got to get going, and we got to hustle up. we got to find a taxi here. And I thought, how are you going to find a taxi in this? He goes, there's one over there. And it was a jeepney about four lanes over going the opposite direction. I'm thinking, how in the world is he going to get this guy? And Tom Randall just puckers his lips up. I think he's going to kiss him. He goes like that, and he goes... And that jeepney saw, that guy saw us, and somehow in the chaos of that tractor turned around, and within a minute, is sitting before us. And we loaded up and went. And I thought, how? How in the world does he do this? And Tom Randall said later to us, I was asking that question, he said, that's their livelihood. They live and breathe and feed their families, and everything comes from the dollars they make from that job of theirs. And you can bet as they drive through, they know who looks like somebody looking and needing a taxi, and they got that ear, and they hear. And I thought, how appropriate. They knew and knew how to find and seek out what was important for them. And I guess that kind of brings me to our question, the voice of God. How well do we know the voice of God uh, in our lives? Do we tune into it? Are we looking for it on a regular basis? John chapter 10, that whole passage, if you went right through from verse 1 through 27 and even a little bit beyond that, talks about the sheep and the shepherd and, and their, their relationship. And in verse 4, it, it says that they know my voice. They know my voice. They respond to me and they will follow me. And verse 27 talks specifically of that, that I know them and they follow me. And I guess that's the question I, I would share with each of us today. Do we know God's voice? Do we respond to God's voice when he calls out to us. Now, I guess a good question to ask ourselves is when, where do we find God's voice? You know, when do we find it? Where, when is he speaking? How does he speak? Is, is it only in English? Ha <laughs> ha. I remember hearing that um, if you spoke three or four or five languages, you're multilingual. If you spoke two, you're a bilingual. If you spoke one, you're a United States of America citizen. <laughs> God speaks multiple languages, period. And we don't have to have a special language to understand and hear God's voice. But we, we need to understand this about God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Be joyful always. Pray without ceasing or pray continually. So what's prayer? Well, we won't get into a great theological depth in depth thing we're going to talk on my level right now what's prayer i think of two specific things it's talking to god and listening to god too often we kind of think it's talking and we're quick to kneel down somewhere at an altar or find a place that's quiet 
and uh, plop down, and maybe we do lay prostrate before God. Or maybe we're on our knees, or maybe we're standing, or lying down on our backs, or, or seated, seated. But we think of praying as talking to God and bringing our burdens and our needs, and it is. God loves to hear us and our voice and crying out to him. And he knows what's going on in our lives, but he still just loves to hear us talk with him and communicate to him and let him know the, our deepest desires and our hearts and our pains and, and the good things that are going on and being joyful and, and the complaints and the frustrations. But it's not just that. It's also listening to God. Let God speak back to you. Let him talk to you. And pray without ceasing certainly implies that at all times I should be willing and ready to hear God speak to me. I think too often we have a few places, our little favorite places, where we commune with God. One of those is probably right here in this church. And we come in here and we gather together and we enjoy fellowship, rightly so. And we sing songs and we pray together and the message is spoken and, and then we leave and, and we are meeting and we're gathering and we're experiencing God and the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's a great thing. And we do hear God speak to us in these settings. Maybe it's a Bible study or a prayer group or whatever, Sunday school classes or whatever it might be in those things. Or maybe just have a, a couple accountability partners that you meet with on a regular basis. Yes, God meets in those places as well. Maybe it's your private little area called the bathroom where you sit down or you're in the shower. In my case, I'm in the shower and I really, I, I just, God speaks to me in the shower in a, in a lot of ways. Mowing lawns, walking, shoveling snow. I just enjoy things that are no-brainers, and I do a lot of no-brainer things in my life, but I, I just go along, and I don't have to think about things so I can listen and talk to God. And you can look at my yard and determine what kind of conversation I had. <laughs> but that's, that's, God is more than all that. Yesterday, we had the privilege of celebrating a 40th anniversary, wedding anniversary with Phil and Debbie Wilson. And I watched and saw and heard God speak to some people in that little setting. Right at the very end, as Cindy and I and were living to go, and it was a hot, humid day, and we were trying to find spots where the breeze was. Unfortunately, the breeze seemed to be in the sunshine and not under some of the canopies, but we were trying to get comfortable, but it was just a hot, sunny day. And as we're getting ready to leave, in the east were dark clouds, and in the west was just bright sunshine. And all of a sudden, this big old rainbow just spanned the area. And it, it spoke to a lot of people, in a lot of different ways. And tears were flowing. It was just really a, just a neat thing to watch. And I wasn't in my bathroom. I wasn't mowing my lawn. And yet God was speaking to me. And I guess that's the point. God speaks continually to us. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening? A few years back, Bose Audio Systems came up with this thing called the Q3 noise reduction concept. And they had headphones that they developed that helped the hearer hear what they wanted to hear more clearly. And essentially what it was is when they plugged that headphone in to whatever device it might be, MP3 player, Walkmans, if you ever heard of those things, um, and, and all different kinds of stereos and devices, TVs, and you plugged it in, or with Bluetooth nowadays, you hooked it up that way. But the headphones were designed to know the device that they were plugged into or connected to through Bluetooth or the, the wireless. 
And that sound was the sound that mattered most. And any other sound that tried to get to those headphones and penetrate was to be offset by a counter sound in their design. And so that it was like a white noise or whatever it might be, some kind of racket was coming in. The headphone system was designed to try to put together a counter sound that would try to defend and deflect those sounds so that all you heard was what you wanted to hear. And I sometimes wonder, do we do that with God? Do we get in scenarios where we're unfortunately countering God's voice that's trying to reach to us and we're allowing the other sounds and the other distractions in our lives to counter and we just don't hear God? The song talks about the silent voice of God, and it is. And yet there are times that God's voice is loud and clear. Do we find places without chaos? Do we go to rooms of quietness where we can find... um, Solitude and the ability to focus on God, to spend time with him, to listen to him. We need to understand Satan prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking us to devour. He's active. He's going bonkers, trying to to capture us and take us in and distort and change things. And he's doing it all the time. And when we're walking all day long, as we go through our daily lives on the way to work or into school or to play or whatever it is we're doing, Satan isn't sitting back waiting for the right moment and saying, okay, well, Kevin's not in his prayer room right now, so I'll have to take a break. But once he gets in the prayer room, now I'm going really, to go at him and I'm going to attack him really hard. Satan doesn't do that. He's attacking nonstop. And God knows that. God knows that Satan is all about trying to drag Kevin Austin down. Whether it's through websites or through visual here or things I hear things or or hear there or my reaction to issues in my family with my children or whatever it might be, uh, work relationships. God knows that Satan's going to attack and he also knows that I need to hear his voice. And that's why I love the verse. It's one of my favorites in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. He will not allow me or you to be tempted beyond what we are able, but with the temptation provides the way of escape also that you will endure, have success, move through the temptation. The issue is, do I choose? He's providing it. Hey, Kev, you might want to go left up here, you know, as he whispers or talks to me as I'm going down the road or whatever it is I'm doing in my life. You might want to hang a left. Yeah, but the right looks really cool. I think I want to go right. I think you want to go left, Kevin, you know. And we get this little dialogue going, and I choose left or right. God does not want us to fail. He's speaking to us all the time. He knows when Satan's busy and about and prowling around, prowling around, trying to devour and attack and defeat me. And God knows that. And he's constantly speaking into my life. He's saying, Kevin, this, Kevin, that. Here's this beautiful rainbow. I shared a couple of weeks ago about the rainbow. Sitting there trying to sort out, do we get involved with baseball ministry or not? And he chooses in those moments we believe. We believe with all our heart that rainbow on that day back in Germany was sent from God for us. Yeah, a lot of other people got to enjoy it. But I knew God was saying, yep, get involved with baseball, Kevin. We got some things to do here for the the people there. And it'll be good for you, too. It'll be good for you, too. A few scriptures that help me 
when I think about God and his voice. One of those comes out of 1 Kings chapter 19, if you wanted to look at it. And, and I'm just going to paraphrase the story for you, but it's 1 Kings chapter 19, and it's verses 9 through 13. And Elijah is running. He's the last prophet left alive as Horeb and the others, and they have just wiped out all the prophets, and they're killing them. And he's panicked, and he runs to the mountains, and he finds a cave, and he hides in the cave, fearing for his life. And God comes to Elijah, and he says, what are you doing here? Or maybe he said, what are you doing here? I don't know. But the question was asked. And Elijah says to God, as if God needed to know, and tells him what's going on. And God says to Elijah at this point, he said, Elijah, I'm going to come by. And I want you to stand out on the edge of the, the side of the mountain in my presence when I come by. The first thing that happens is a wind is so intense and powerful that it shatters the rocks. Think about that. The rocks are being dashed and smashed by the power of this incredible wind. But Elijah doesn't go out. God's not in the wind. And then comes earthquake and the ground's trembling and probably more rocks are falling by the wayside out there as he peers out from his cave. But God's not in the earthquake. Elijah remains. And then comes the fire, this blazing fire. God's not in the fire, so Elijah waits. And then this whisper, this still small whisper, a gentle whisper, and Elijah steps out into the presence of God. And God talks. Elijah listens. And commands are given. Elijah obeys. What fascinates me, Elijah was desperate. He was fearing for his life. What kind of God would he be looking for in those moments? Man, when that wind blew the mountains to pieces or the earthquake came and the fire, I thought, yeah, God, you're ready. Let's go get him and wipe him out. But he knew God so well. He knew God so well that he knew he wasn't in those. And so he waited patiently. And that's another aspect of God, waiting patiently for his voice and his speaking to us. And so Elijah, in those settings, hears the voice of God, obeys it, and responds. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. It's the temptation of Jesus. He's been out in the desert, led out in the desert by the Spirit, fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And it says he's hungry. And it says Satan steps in and says... Take those stones and turn them into bread. Because you've got to be hungry. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but rather by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Hear that? We live by the very words that come from the mouth of God. And we get caught up a lot in the bread and the food, and the clothes, and the cars. I didn't say that. We get caught up in all these things. But Jesus wants us to know we live by the word of God. And it's good enough for Jesus. It ought to be good enough for us. In Revelation 3.20, 
Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Essentially saying this, Jesus is knocking at our door of our hearts and we need to respond. We open up and he moves into our lives and the Holy Spirit lives within us and enables us on a daily basis, moment by moment to hear his voice saying, man, this is a great, isn't this great? Look at that over there. Isn't it a beautiful scene? Or isn't that person, boy, that person's hurting. Can we reach out to him? Let's go over and just see if we can't help this guy. He's really hurting, Kevin. And he's talking to me and I'm, in, I'm in experiencing all kinds of opportunities in my life because I've allowed Jesus to move into my life. And the beauty of it is it's a win-win situation. My life is impacted and what an adventure, what a holy adventure it is as I learn and hear his voice and respond to his voice. And I have to get down and do some nitty gritty dirty things sometimes, but boy, when you're done, what a great feeling. What a great feeling it is to have accomplished something for God. And you get blessed at the same time. It's a great scene. It's a great opportunity for us. So the voice of God. The voice of God. A response time. So what is God saying to you today? What's he saying to you? As you've come in and gathered and dedicated a little bit of time... This morning, and we've had wonderful songs and and testimonies about the Royal Family Kids Camp. And did he talk to you about missions and children's needs? What through the message now? How is he speaking to you? What is God talking to you about today? Are you hearing? Are you listening? Do you recognize his voice? Back in high school in Long Lake. Coach John Fontana was my high school coach. You guys think you've come from small schools around here. You don't know what a small school is. My, they had like a graduating class of one last year. About three years ago, they had a graduating class of zero. Um, Long Lake Central School has got to be one of the smallest public schools in New York State. When I was there, we were a booming metropolis of over 150 kids, K through 12. There were... 31 boys in the grades 9 through 12 in our high school when I was there. And our coach just, he was the kind of personality that just said, you know what, it ain't, we're not going to have tryouts. I'm just going to have these 12 guys play. Because when you got below 5, 6, 7, 8 deep in our system, it was tough. They, they were just trying to figure out which way to throw the ball and bounce it and dribble it and things like that. And uh, I just, I loved basketball. I came from the south and I, I lived and thrived. I wanted to be a pro basketball player. Don't laugh too hard, but I really did. I wanted to. And I just, I lived, breathed basketball. And John Fontana was a great coach, and I admired him, and he made demands of us, and I responded, and most of us did. And I just couldn't help but want to please John Fontana because he was all about winning the games. And he built an empire in a little town up there that won three sectional championships in five years and, I don't know, 88 wins and seven losses. We had 27-game winning streak, all kinds of just neat things. Ranked in New York State, all that coming from this little town really because of this coach that people on the team. I had the privilege of being the point guard. My starting point guard is a junior and a senior and and a backup point guard is a sophomore. And I, I attribute... A lot of my success in that time to my ability to when I went down that court, I could hear and know what my coach wanted me to do. And that speaks volumes when you think about the atmosphere. There's nothing to do on a Friday night in Adirondacks, folks. 
go chase a bear or be chased by a bear. Um, there's just not a lot happening. And everybody would just come out and sit in that gym and they could care less about basketball. It was a social event. And then people would cheer and yell and scream and it would just go on and on back and forth. And it was loud in those gyms. You know, seven people in the gym yelling and screaming, you know, it's just a massive thing going on. And in that chaos, I had no trouble. I really, really didn't. I, when I got the ball, it was passed to me, or if I got a rebound or whatever it is, I had the ball, I turned, and one of the first things I would do out of the corner of my eye, peripheral vision, I'd look over to see if my coaches give me a command. Nope, so I'd call a play. If I could see some kind of motion, I could just read his eyes. I thought, yep, he's going to say something. And in the deafening roar or whatever it is, I could see him. I could read his lips, you know, blue, one, red, blue, whatever it might be. I'd call the plate and we'd go on. Why was I successful in that? Because I wanted to know what he wanted me to do. And I loved doing it. He could do no wrong. And he was just a human. <laughs> How much greater is God? And God really wants what's best for me and for you. And when he's speaking to us, wow, what a privilege it is. What a privilege it is. Do not let this book of the law depart from you, but meditate on it day and night so that you might be careful to do all that is written within it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. John 10, 10, I came that they might have life and live it to the fullest. God is about us enjoying life. Yeah, there's pain and there's sorrow and it hurts at times, but man, I'd rather go through it with somebody who's caring about me than to try it on my own and try to mush through what life is going to throw at me at different times. The voice of God is crying out. He's reaching out to you. All the time, all day long, not just here, not just in your little private areas where you are. Everywhere you go, God is with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. How great it is to know God. Listen to his voice today. Listen to his voice today. Amen.